this morning, um, I want to talk about reflections, resolve, and renewal, and how it is that as Christians, on New Year's Day, it's a cool opportunity, because most of the time, no one's working. Um, I mean, some people do have to work, some people are traveling, but most of the time, especially when it falls on a Sunday, there's a lot more closed, there's a lot more not going on. It's, it's, um, it's a great time to reflect. So I want to get right into it because there's so much in here. And obviously Ephesians is super encouraging, but there's a lot of theology in it too. And I, I've got some, some things I want to read that kind of supplement and help us to understand our condition as people. He says in verse one, and he made, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. <clears throat> Stop there for a second. The first part of this, uh, the first few verses are reflection. Because it's interesting when we read something that was uh, written a long time ago that talks uh, to us about currently where we are at, but what God did a long time back. <clears throat> he says, and you, you Christian, he made alive. Well, this is 2,000 years old. He made you alive, but I wasn't alive. Some people don't come to Christ until way later in life. And they're like, he already did? Well, yeah, through Christ, he gave you the ability. And as you and I come to a few hours back, the end of 2022, and we look at 2023, it's, it's a natural reflection. It's a natural time for you to take inventory. <clears throat> it's a natural time for you as a person to go, huh, what was 2022 like? What was 2022? What were my ups and downs? What were my struggles? What, what did God do? How am I better? How am I closer to him? Maybe I'm not, and I need to change that. But before we knew God, he knew us. And that's how he can say this. He made us alive he made, when Jesus said it is finished, sin was finished. The payment that God required was paid in full, check written. Doesn't matter how many times you sin in this life. Doesn't matter how many times somebody 100 years ago did. Sin in general has been paid for because God has the ability to see past, present, future. And so he knew what was going to be of this earth and Christ paid for it. Christ died and paid for it and was resurrected by the same spirit that comes into your life if you agree with verse 1. When he says, you are alive, he made you alive, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Say that to somebody who doesn't even believe there's a God today. Say, hey, I got a question for you. <clears throat> little checkbox, you know, yes or no. Do you agree with this statement? I just took these dumb real estate classes that are just the most horribly worded questions ever. And I, my, my, I almost shot myself a few days ago because I procrastinated, had to do like eight of them in two weeks. Um, but they ask these questions and they're like, you, you, you're like, what are you actually asking? Because it says true, false, but it's not really worded properly. Well, they just, you know, they write these things in, in bulk and I think they're written offshore if you know what I mean. <clears throat> so he made you alive. And if you say to an atheist or you say to an agnostic or you say to somebody who has no idea about anything religion oriented, you go, hey, do you agree that in Christ you can be made alive because you actually are a sinner? Well, no. Do you believe in original sin? No, I don't actually believe in sin. Well, how can you not believe in sin? Well, I believe that there's bad stuff. 
Well, what's the definition of sin? Certainly bad stuff is in the Webster's, you know, in the paragraph. So you can get people to look at this world and go, yeah, there's definitely something wrong with it, but people don't agree as to what it is. So we agree. Those who he's writing to Christians, he goes, hey, Christian, you once walked this way according to the course of this world, according to what? The, the guy who's running most of the people on this planet, the guy who's influencing most of the people on this planet because the curse introduced because of his rebellion, introduced through human disobedience, has, has never left. Now, the power of it is, has been dealt with. But you and I go around and we go, well, I don't often feel that alive. I don't often feel that saintly. I don't often feel like I'm parked up in the heavenlies. We'll get there in a second. It's because we have to understand how we grew up. I, I touched on this in communion. <clears throat> I just want to read something that really helped me out because it is a, it's a difficult thing to explain to people the body, soul, and spirit dynamic. That's, a, that's, that's not that easy to throw down in like 30 seconds. Like you can throw the gospel down to people in 30 seconds. Um, here's here's a, just a snapshot at why it seems to be so difficult for a lot of Christians. We are born into a tough existence. As infants, every day is a new challenge to ensure all our needs are met. Before we are even aware of it, we learn to play the world's game of life. We learn that if we cry, we get attention. We learn that if we don't cry we, and we sleep all day, nobody comes to us. Um, by make, Hopefully that's not true. Um, by making noise, we get fed, dried, changed, and played with. <clears throat> we start school. We learn that um, if I act like this, the teacher likes me. If I act like that, the teacher doesn't like me. So I better act like this instead of that. Going through school, if we have a personality that others are attracted to, we become one of the most popular kids in school. We learn how to operate in that. If we're not popular, we learn how to live with that. In high school, if we have a boyfriend or girlfriend, we learn how to adapt uh, to that, or we learn how to get along without it. When we get into the work world, we learn that what will earn us advancement and that which will earn us the pink slip. So it's, it's a lot of the software is how you behave, what you do and what you don't do is the results that the, the results you want, you have to act a certain way to get them. He says, it's all a rat race. We try to nose our way into some place of stability where we can exist and get along. We're constantly learning, reacting, and making adjustments to do what it takes to make it in this world. From the moment we were born into the world, dead in trespasses and sins, dead in spirit, and separated from God. The world and the devil conspired to create this self in us, that could try independently to get along with the false self, or the Bible calls it the flesh, to get along basically without God. That's, that's what Satan tries to get people in this world to buy, is that it's performance-based, it's you do this, you get that. In this country, if you work for this, you get that, usually. That's how it is. And then we come to this spiritual reality um, and I got to read verse three, uh, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's normal. It's normal to conduct yourself in the software of the place that you were placed. 
in how things work. He says, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Non-Christians don't believe this. Atheists don't believe this. People that are just like, oh, I'm a moral person. I'm, I'm not really like a trespasser. I'm not like the murderers on TV. I'm not, I don't steal from people. I help people. I give guys 10 bucks every day at I-10 and Grant. I'm a pretty good person. Because they don't understand that the standard is perfection. The standard is if you want to go live in God's house, God gets to decide who comes in and lives with them and how they lived. And if it's not perfection, you're going with the other guy. And the other guy tried to live up here and rob me of my glory. I will not share my glory with anybody. And why should he? He's God. Only the egos of human beings could possibly ever challenge that. Oh, seriously, only human beings. Satan did it. But Satan was also this created, beautiful, you know, unbelievably powerful, angelic being. And so maybe he was looking at himself, but, but the reflection was off of God. And he's like, well, I'm looking pretty good. This is some good light. Yeah, you better believe it's good light. It's the light of the whole universe. That's the light that's reflecting onto you. And you think that it's you. You think that you showed up one day. A lot of people do. A lot of people nowadays doubt how they even got here. No, I just kind of evolved. I came out of something. I used to be a tiger, whatever. I mean, you hear these things on the internet. It's crazy. <laughs> However, it's always interesting when Paul says something and then goes, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, <clears throat> you trespassers, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Now that transition happens and most people don't feel anything as it pertains to spiritual death. They just know how they were and they get comfortable with being that way. And so when you and I are born in this world and we operate in the software of this, of this world, like what I just read for you, it's, it's hard for us to feel any other way, but hey, we're pretty comfortable with this place. This is pretty comfortable. And then you accept Christ and God makes you alive, but he doesn't make you alive in the body and he doesn't make you alive in the, in the, soul, in the soul instantly. He makes you alive in the spirit because that's the thing that's going to be someplace. The body, that, well, the body's gonna be gone one day. And so, yes, your personality goes with you, but it's the spirit that doesn't get a lot of airtime because that's a software we're just not really, a lot of us just don't think about it, talk about it, really develop it. But it's when you, when you hear something of God or when you see God do something, it's that divine amen. It's that agreement in the heart. You're connecting with God. That's what we're talking about. That's how he made us alive. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when we get to heaven and we, we look at it all, what, whatever, I mean, it's going to stun people that understand it the most. But when you look at that, I think what we're, a lot of us are going to really hopefully remember is, man, I can't believe you saved me. Like I was rotten. I was the most rotten person that ever was. 
And I think all of us are that way. Some of us are like, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I'm not as bad as that televangelist that, you know, did all these horrible things and has five private jets. But it's like different stuff, man. Different, different place. Don't judge anybody else where they're at. Just you work on you and let God work on you and let him work with other people as it pertains to that. So God, because of this transformation, because he, quote, made us alive together with Christ, because it's by grace, this is the resolve. This is being resolute. This is resolving. Sometimes we read it and we talk about the position that we hold or, you know, it's called uh, theology in, in theory. Like, you know, you, you listen to a teaching on theology. It's like positionally you're this and that. And I get scared when the, when the theology words are, are 18 syllables. Um, not, not a huge fan. But I get it. I get why it's such a big deal to certain teachers because that's their conviction. They want to teach these things. It's great. But, but you, you, you got to be able to let people know like what that actually means. Like, define the word, they still don't understand. Like, what does it really mean in daily life? What does it really mean for me to, to be raised up with Christ? Well, that's a forthcoming thing. That's where your spirit, if you are made alive, your spirit is sealed and done. You are with God. But we live in time, the software of time. He does not. And so he can say this. God can say this. Hey, you're seated with me. Well, I don't feel like a saint. You are a saint. That's how big of a deal my son's sacrifice was. It's a done deal. You're going to struggle. You're going to trip. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. But hopefully what we learn is we can't get there. Even after we become Christians, we can't live the Christian life uh, perfectly in our own power. But a lot of people believe. I had a guy tell me, he goes, uh, in, in this very sanctuary, he goes, dude, you don't ever have to sin. Once you're, once you're a Christian, you never have to sin. You just have to listen to the spirit 100% of the time. I'm like, I've listened to my dad a lot of the time and then gone out the very next minute and done the opposite of what he said. I've, I, I could repeat what he said. I know all the verses that you're telling me right now, but I don't see that because I'm not going to believe you, a self-proclaimed prophet in the year 2018, maybe this was, versus Paul, who tells me in Romans that he's the chief of sinners, that he's a wretch, and that he doesn't even do what he wants to do. I'm not going to believe you over him. And so the resolve that you and I um, have to take on, this, this idea of resolve, is what does that word even mean? What does resolve even mean? Well, when you and I resolve a problem, the definition is, well, we fixed it or we found a solution. If you look up the word resolve in the dictionary, there's like 50 different words that that could mean. And some of them I'm like, I didn't even know that it ever meant that. But resolve in general means to fix or to um, come to a decision that takes care of that problem that you have. And you and I have not only resolution because of Christ, we can resolve our doubts. We can resolve our, our struggles and we can say, I understand why I'm struggling. I understand why. Um, I want to read this uh, kind of cool quote as we talk about the false self, as we talk about the flesh, as we talk about um, some people would, would tell you that it's two natures, that you have a sin nature and you have this, uh, this spiritual nature, um, and that they're both alive and well. And that's one word for it. I don't really, I always struggled with that. I would, I would rather go back to how Paul put it, which is there's a law going on down here. 
there's the law. Now, unfortunately, because of where we're at in America, the law oftentimes gets kicked aside. But there is one. There's one on the books. There's lots of them, uh, from the Constitution down to the local city ordinances. But a lot of people don't follow them. But there is a law. There's a law of sin on this planet, and me and my members, me and my flesh, I'm immersed in it. I'm, I live in this place. I have to interact with people who love to sin. That's the only thing they want to do, is not listen to God. So I want to, I want to read this. The false self, flesh if you will, is a soul-based self. It's the soul operating independently of its source. What's the source of the soul? God, source of the spirit, God. Source of you, you're in my flesh, our bodies, God. I don't want to minimize the vital role of the soul in God's economy. The life of God through us must be expressed through the soul. But his life is expressed through a soul dependent on its source, not one acting independently of its source. As an unbeliever, our spirit was dead to God. That's what he just said. So we became dominated by our soul. The Greek, this word, means psych, mind. So we were dominated by our mind. Our soul was turned toward the world, getting its direction and validation from the external environment. We were a natural person. We're a natural human being, a natural man or woman, as Paul said, living a soul-based life. Somewhere along the way, we got saved and our sins were forgiven. And we wanted to live this thing called the Christian life, but we didn't know how to live it out in the new spirit. So we fell back on our only other resource, our false self, our mind. It knew how to get along in this world. We just had to make a few adjustments to fit the Christian scene. This is what we call religious uh, religiosity, the fake church, how people act at church. Um, there's just so much when you when you see people in general that say, "Oh yeah, 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 I go to that, I go to that church sometimes," and then you're like, "Do you understand anything that they actually teach?" Yeah, yeah, I I I, I go like five six times a year. Okay, um, but you learn how, and we learn how to manipulate the false self to make it more effective in getting along in the Christian church, in the Christian community, if you will. So there's, there's two different things going on. There's my history. There's who I was. There's the struggles of my life. There's the software. There's the world that I've learned to, um, you know, I've learned how to like, if I do this, I get this. If I do this, I get this. Like that's how we look at stuff. If, if you know that you need to get something from your dad, then you know when to ask for it, right? Because you've failed many times on Friday afternoon when his paycheck is spent that you need a new bike. Well, maybe you should wait until he's in the best mood possible. And then it's yeses for everybody because a father wants to give. So we learn how to manipulate. And the problem is that oftentimes the church doesn't teach this. I know it sounds crazy, but they don't teach this. They don't teach true discipleship. The, what Paul's telling us is, hey, there is something that some of you guys are getting and some of you guys are not getting. That's why I'm writing it in a letter to the church, that you have been made alive. And at the same time, it's because of God's grace and his richness. He's made you this way. He's raised us up. 
He's made us spiritually as Christians to be able to be in the heavenly places, to live with God where Christ is right now, that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches and his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. And to, to finish this up, so we had renewal, resolve, or excuse me, we had um, reflection, resolve, and now we have renewal. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, walk in is another one of those terms where in Christianese, we know that word. In Christianese, we hear, oh, you have to walk in the word. You have to do this. There's TV, there's radio programs called walk in the word or, or the enduring word. I mean, we, we, we see these terms. It's not like the terms are so new. But part of this renewal process is reminding ourselves, and we have to remind ourselves often, how did we come to this position? For by grace, right? Not by works. Not because you're the greatest doer that the world has ever seen. Not because you've done more for God than everybody except Jesus. That's awesome. If that's your resume, then it should also be attached to a page called humility, right behind it and in front of it. And people, when you... When you, uh, my mom used to work for Tyndale. I don't know if you guys, Tyndale wrote the, the CEO of Tyndale, who's been dead a, a while now, wrote the Living Bible so his kids or grandkids could understand it. it was, it's a paraphrase. It's not, it's not a translation. But he wrote it so they would understand it with, with some help probably, I'm guessing. But um, at the end of his work life, I think he was like 80 years old. I think this is like 20 years ago. They had this big thing for him. And that, that uh, publisher is from my hometown. And so they're, they're, uh, they get up on, up on stage, and he doesn't want to be up on stage. He doesn't want the accolades and whatnot. And, and they go, so, so uh, what is it that, um, what's the greatest thing somebody ever said about you or something to that effect? And he goes, well, and he's like got this old man voice. He's like, I've been told I've been humble. And everybody's laughing because he's like the most humble guy than anybody, but he's done so much. Like what Tyndale did, and he named it obviously Tyndale for a reason. If you guys um, don't know, look that story up. But it's it's not because of the work that he did. He's he was saved by grace through faith, and he knew that. He took that to the end of his life. And there's there's a lot of great uh, Christian uh, martyrs too, where you know that you read their story and you're like, wow. That person accomplished more than any of us ever will. And if you were to ask them, they'd be like, God prepared that work for me beforehand. That was, that was God. Not, well, you know, you need to be doing as much as me. Like, let's get on the same page here. Well, how about we trust God's Holy Spirit to bring people into orbit and to bring people in position to do what they need to do and not you feeling like you got to manage all of us? Because that's the spirit of God's job is to manage the flock. That's what the spirit of God does. Jesus gave the Spirit of God to teach and to counsel and to convict and to manage us. Other Christians, discernment ministries, not so much. Uh, when, you, when you really are around them, it's kind of tough to be around them because you can't get through the headspace sometimes. It's like, wow, you, are, you guys are the greatest things that God's ever given to us. Thank you. Not you. Thank you down here. No, that should never be the case. It is the gift of God 
lest anyone should boast. They don't say, well, I'm going to about to boast now, so I listen. But they do boast. They just don't tell you that it is. And you're like, wow, there's a real contrast here between me and you. But everywhere I read Paul talk about us, he's using the, he's using the word us, and he's not even putting himself aside. He's not being like, well, it's kind of me and the apostles and then the rest of you, because you guys are idiots. It's never that. It's always us. He raised us up together. God, rich in his mercy, loved us. We're all on this side, and Jesus is on the other side. That's it. So we are his workmanship, yes, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared. And we should walk in them, and we should be proud that we are in Christ. We, that should be something that we are proud of. Not proud people, but proud of. And it's, it's a... It's a difficult thing to navigate, that is for sure. And that's why we have to have God's Holy Spirit. That's why we need each other. That's why I, I watch a lot of you guys operate in this church, and it's super encouraging that I don't see, I don't, I really don't see judgment when guys come and talk to one another. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be like, well, you've got an issue, and what are we going to do about it? How will we discipline you? It's, it's not that. It's, hey, bro, I'm with you. Let's pray about this. Let's, let's talk. Let's chat. Let's text. Because we need each other. We need him, but we need each other because we're walking on this earth together. A couple things to wrap it up. Number one, reflection is a wonderful thing. And we need to do it from time to time, especially as it pertains to our faith and our progress in the faith. But we also must be willing to forgive ourselves and the others around us, and move on toward the goal. Paul is absolutely a guy who's like, let's, let's progress in the faith. Let's forgive each other. Let's tell the truth to one another. Let's love each other. So that's the first. The second is resolve. Having resolve is essential in our world. When things become a resolution, like today, how many people in this country will say, I'm going to go to the gym every single day this year. Well, gyms are open 365, but not a whole lot of humans hit 365, number one. Number two, I will lay off Texas rolls. That's been some people's before. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to cut carbs out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do 100 push-ups every day. Whatever the res resolution is, that's not the point. Having resolve is awesome but they put pressure on us. These resolutions, they put pressure on us. Today's resolutions, 47% of the country will make them, and I think the stat is in the low uh, one-digit numbers as to who actually thinks that they fulfilled it 364 days from today. So that should tell you that resolutions, like just out of the blue because it's a holiday, oh, January 1, I'm not going to eat rolls this year. Why didn't you do that three days ago? The resolve is three days ago. Start early. That's how you know it's going to work because it's Sunday and there's football and so you're going to eat a roll. Well, I'll start tomorrow because technically tomorrow is when the male observes it. Okay. <laughs> you got it. You got January too, but you better do the 364. You can have today off. All of you guys can. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not though. I'm not taking it off. I, haven't, I didn't eat the bread today. I'm shocked <laughs> and offended and hurt. Um, but like when someone tells you, 
and puts pressure on you, you need to do this, or you need to read the one-year Bible with me, or you need to memorize this many scriptures, or you need to only listen to Caleb, or whatever it is. Whatever this, these Christian uh, self-help, these books that, I mean, there's a million books in Christian, Christian living. It's probably one of the, it, it's probably second to music in terms of a moneymaker. Christian living. Essentially what Christian living is, is you figuring out how you need to do whatever it is, how to have a better marriage, how to raise your kids, how to do this, how, whatever it is. It's some person writing how you do it. And once again, when you fail, the contrast is set back up. Oh, I could never be as good as this author. I could never be as good as this book. I could never be as good as this, this guy, whoever wrote this. Trust me, that guy messes up. Or that woman messes up tons, the author. Trust me. But sometimes people define this word resolve as fixed or solve. We have the relationship with the one who has fixed the problem. The problem that we have has been fixed. That sin problem has been fixed. The resolve is to continue on. What does Paul tell you? Does he ever tell you, hopefully you never sin again? No, he says, finish the race. Keep going. When you fall, when you trip, you humbly say, I messed up. I'm a little sheep. I'm eight miles from home. Come get me. And God will come get you. He always will. So the resolve is to continue. And lastly, the renewal, continuing to be renewed because obviously we're his workmanship. We are, we're the mouthpiece. We're the art. We're the, we're the what God made, like the carpenter. We are created in Christ for good works. The spirit part of us, the per, the, that, that inner part of us that wants to honor our dad, that wants to go, Jesus, you have done so much for me. We, God has prepared for you a race. It's not somebody else's race. It's not my race. It's not your cousin's race. That race is for you, and he has things for you to do. And those things are sanctioned by him, and they're good. And he says, walk in them. Walk in those things. I want to finish... Um, this um, by reading you one more um, kind of a cool quote. Um, it's by a guy named uh, David Needham. It's in a book called Birthright. He goes, at the moment a new person comes into being who has never existed before, you are not a repaint job. You are not a, you're not, you're not some second effort thing. You're a brand new creation. The old you was crucified on the cross with Christ and the new you was born of the Holy Spirit and has been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2.6. You were dead spiritually and now you are alive spiritually. For the first time, you are alive the way God meant you to be alive. In your spirit, you are a completely new creation. Do you look like a new creation? <laughs> no. You look like the same old person. Externally, you still are. Christians don't have like weird smiles and third eyes and such, right? We're just, we look like you come to Christ, you look the same physically as you did the day before. But you have been renewed from within. It's a fact. And you come to that realization through believing it, through faith. Life is within. What you've been trying to bring into being below the line, Paul, like on the temporal, in the earth, Paul says you already are. You are a new creation. You don't have to try to become it. 
through effort. But you're going to try to become a new creation until you're a new creation. You're going to keep trying because that's the software. That's the world around you. Everybody is doing stuff. We're all do, we're driving and we're working and we're selling and we're buying and we're fixing. I mean, we're just doing, 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 doing. And God goes, rest, talk to me, commune with me, read my word, help me, or I will help you to understand it. When you have questions, ask, but believe that I'm going to answer you. That's renewal. Renewal is often. Renewal is daily in Christ doesn't matter where you've walked as a Christian. doesn't matter where you have gone. You have stumbled. You have tripped. 2023. According to time, we're closer to Christ's return than we were last year, according to time. Hopefully it's super soon. But renewal is continual. It's daily. It's hourly. And because of the opposite software we live in, it seems monotonous. It seems like, how could I possibly have messed it up again? And that humility is designed for a reason. That humility is when you get to heaven, you're going to be so appreciative because you struggled, because you couldn't do it yourself, because you tried so many times to do it yourself. You tried to renew yourself. You tried to do good. You tried the 40 days of fasting, the purpose-driven life. You tried it all. You went to Barnes & Noble and you burned up your credit card trying. But I don't know if that still exists. Anyway, I'm over on time. Um, Father God, we thank you for uh, doing this for us. We thank you again, Lord, for um, your crystal clear word. God, we know it goes against culture. We know it goes against our psyche. We know it goes against the, the physical world, the law that is enacted in this world. We know that all of this goes against it. But Lord, I do pray in Jesus' name that you would enable us, God, to really understand this. I think when it gets from our head to our heart, it changes things. And I pray for each and every person in here um, that they would draw nearer to you this year than ever before. God, for those who don't know you, that they would simply call out and say, Jesus, I want that. I want your salvation. I want to know you. And I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I am dead in my sins. And would you come into my heart? Would you renew my spirit? And he will. And God, we thank you for that fact. We thank you for your word again in Jesus' name. Amen.